oh hey <laughs> it's always like wait it's organic i was waiting for thomas's hello and welcome to thank you for religion i'm thomas whitley there you go you did it sounds like you're pretty much a pro at this now <laughs> but what's so your if name? you haven't noticed no oh, wait sorry we have the the um the unparalleled the inestimable <laughs> david ray allen is that Jr. a word with us my head getting bigger with each syllable I'm Sam Harrelson. I'm wearing, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm wearing four inch heels in a hurricane because I'm going to rock you like a hurricane. Um, but, but you borrowed them from Marco, right? From little Marco. Well, I think I see that. I saw somebody that was like, oh, I mean, at least in the spirit of cooperation, Marco was nice enough to let her borrow his heels. <laughs> oh, jeez, His soapbox. Literally, he, he has a box. Um, no, I changed in, into into sneakers right before the show as I got off of the plane. Um have you guys ever listened to um, what's his name? Jeez, uh, 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 I'm completely blanking now as I bring this up. Hold on, Tolle, Eckhart Tolle. Hey, have you ever read uh, The Power of Now? No. Nope. Have you ever read anything by Eckhart Tolle? Do you know who Eckhart Tolle is? I don't think is? so. Well, it sounds uh, familiar. It, it's it's one of those pop. Like psychology slash religion aphorism books from the seventies. I've had two friends, two close friends, in in the last I don't know two three months. Like, ask me if I've read this, and and you know both of them are, are discovering their spiritual journey and you know that kind of stuff. And it's you know it's kind of a pop psychology, like I said, you know theological book. Um, this one's very Buddhist, but I I, I have somehow escaped reading anything by Eckhart Tolle. Even though I've always heard that name as I've gone through my educational my educational journey, um, and it, granted, I, I did more like religion and literature rather than like theology type stuff. But when I started listening to this today, I was like, wow, you know, I wonder if uh, if, if other people in, in religious studies circles have been uh, kind of roped in by it. But it, it's interesting. It, it's very. Like I said, very kind of Mayana Buddhist, like, um, you know, you, you live in the now, you should be an observer of your emotions and right. true, true, uh, true being instead of, it, it, he, he doesn't call it God, he calls it being. So true being is something that you want to commune with, but the, the best way to get there is to remove yourself from circumstances, stop living in the past, stop living in the future. As I almost knocked over my course, banquet beer. So apparently in 2008, the Times called him the most popular spiritual author in the United States. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, 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 it's kind of like pre-Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, but, but not as like superficial. Not as many aphorisms. Aphorism? Aphorisms? But the question is, would he open his church to <laughs> people that are uh, survivors of Hurricane Harvey? <sighs> Thomas, we never closed our church. It's always been open, right. as their statement said today. But yeah, so if you've read Eckhart Tolle, like, and you listen to the show, clearly you're a very enlightened person, as he talks about. <laughs> and I'm listening to the audiobook now in, in my quote downtime. Uh, so please let let me know, like, reach out, reach out on the on the Twitter or email or wherever, and uh, let let me know what you think, because I, I want to hear some other voices, because. These two very close friends are, you know, they're they're very important people in my life, and I, I want to be able to adequately, um, you know, give give them a, a perspective on Eckhart Tolle. And it, I mean, 
I don't know. But it seems to me that you tell like, hey, you're on a spiritual journey. Like, obviously, you should listen to thinking religion. Well, yeah, I tried that. And, I mean, what else do you need? Well, and, you know, not everyone wants to hear two white male, you know, now tonight, three white male <laughs> cisgendered. I don't, I don't want to speak for any of us. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> southern, you know, perspective yeah. Protestants. We're going to work on that next week. Yeah, yeah. So that's exciting. Anyway, I, I just want to throw that out there because I know people listen to the first 10 minutes of the show and then they turn it off. Looking at you, Dr. Tim West. Um, but That's all right. <laughs> friend of the show. Um, yeah. So there's that. What else is going on this week? Anything? So <laughs> terrible. Yeah, there's nothing else oh. going on this week, right? So maybe, uh, maybe David, you should um, kind of enlighten us on what's <laughs> been going on in your life don't, for the past few the weeks. DMs in the middle of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't mean to step on you there. Mm. Uh, no, that's all right. I was just trying to give uh, give David some some space here to talk I'm, about what's been going on since we've cut him out of the scheduling for a few weeks now. Not intentionally; it's just how it's worked. I'm gonna I'm gonna mute myself so he can have some Thanks. space. <laughs> well, school's back in session here in Chapel Hill, uh, so get in the swing of things. I'm taking Greek, as we've talked about in the uh, last time I've on. Feels like it's been a while back, but I'm, I'm doing that now, so that's been taking up a lot of the time. Um, and uh, writing my thesis, started on that this semester, so it's going well. Football season's getting ready to get in gear, as Thomas mentioned on the last episode. So uh, I'm in five fantasy football leagues this year. Which wow. means okay, first of all, do you have uh, do you have like the the uh, earbuds into your Mac? I do. Okay, make sure make sure yes. your your mic thing, like the little white part of the mic, isn't like rubbing your shirt. Could you, we'll get yeah, that. it sounds like it is. Does it sound better now? Yep. Yes. So it's kind of okay, a pain. Maybe. You kind of have to hold it. But yeah, it, that little mic, it's a great mic, but if it rubs any part of anything, it'll act up. So you just have to... Tell me it if it does it again. Okay. Thomas used to tape it um, to his face. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so three, <laughs> wait, three football? Three fantasy football? No, five. No, five. 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 Holy yeah. hell, how, how? Why? So are they, so are they all, are they all, um, they all money leagues? $210 total, which my girlfriend looked at me when I told her that, and I thought that was going to be the end right there. <laughs> so, yeah, you obviously so, sat her down yeah. um, and explained to her. We're working through it. Honey, this is important <laughs> stuff, right? Just yeah. give, me, give me some space. As I mean, Sundays, you know, as Thomas mentioned, Saturdays and Sundays just become – somebody earlier mentioned it like crack. You know, it's like I don't, yeah. I don't, never done crack, so I can't speak to it. But once it's like the Sunday games roll around, and you get like eight games, and then at four fifteen, there's only four, and you like start itching because yep. you're like, wait, there's only four, and, and then you know, Sunday <laughs> what am I night, there's flip between. Then there was only one game Sunday night. Exactly. So yeah, that that's you coming in to a hurry. Chris Collinsworth. Okay, so, so I, I have to ask. I'm, I'm not an NFL guy. I kind of watch college football. I'm in South Carolina. It's our thing. You know, we had Clemson. Hey. Um, and that was fun to watch last year. And I've, I've been a lifelong Clemson fan, so I've kind of watched that. But NFL, I, I really could care less about. It's like the NHL to, to me or, or, I don't know, a lot of people in South Carolina. Not not everybody. We have some Redskins fans. We're going there. after all our hockey fans, too, man. <laughs> Wait, what, are we going to put up with the Hurricanes? I mean, the Whalers? No. Um, I moved to Connecticut right after we stole the Whalers, and people were really upset about that. Anyway, so um, with, with – 
with the NFL, when you have that many games on a Sunday, I'm a NASCAR fan, which is, you know, worse than the NFL because we have Confederate flags. But with NASCAR, you know, there's one event, typically on a Sunday afternoon. Sometimes it's Saturday night. And, and, you know, like this week, it's a bye week. But next week, I'm going to the NASCAR race in Darlington. I'm very excited about that. But we all rally around one event, literally rally with our Confederate flags because we're at next. With, <laughs> with, NASCAR, uh, with uh, NFL, um, I don't have a Confederate flag. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm casting its versions. With the NFL and the number of games you have, I know there's like the, what is it, the, the Red Zone package on TV? Yes, like, yeah, the, yeah, the Red Zone channel. So is that what you have to subscribe to? Like if, if you're doing something like one or, or five <laughs> uh, fantasy leagues, like do you subscribe to that or, or do you pick out a game and you say, no, no, I'm a Dolphins fan and I'm going to watch Jay and the Dolphins really, really go at it this year? Or do you so, kind of like... So generally speaking, I, I don't know what it's like for Thomas, but I mean, yes, I there's a Red Zone channel and also if you buy the package, there's also what they call a fantasy channel or fantasy zone, which essentially will check in on big plays. So, like, if somebody catches a 65-yard pass, that's a 6.5 worth point play in fantasy, so they want to show you that. So it bounces ah. from thing to thing. So are all fantasy um, points across the board the same? Or, or is it like no. the, Yahoo, the Yahoo Fantasy thing is different than the... Like know. ESPN and yeah. NFL. Yeah, they're all, I mean, they're all slightly different. They're, there's a lot of commonalities. And then each, each league... Uh, all, you know, a lot of leagues like to change, tweak the rules a little bit for their little, their own little league. So what I do, I flip back and forth a lot. Um, it like it, so I'm from Charlotte, so you know the Panthers have been my team ever since they were an expansion team practicing at Clemson, right before they even had their stadium built. Oh, so I've been a Panthers fan since the beginning. Um, so if the Panthers are on, I'm pretty much just going to watch that game. Okay. Um, if the Panthers aren't on, then I'm usually flipping back and forth to see, you know, um, people that are on my team, seeing what they're going to be doing. Um, I don't personally, I'm not a huge fan of the Red Zone channel because I like to see more than just when they are within the 20 yard line, right? Or yeah, they're about to score. I like to see more the of the game than make, just that. Right. Part. It just seems like a lot of that with the fantasy stuff is so geared towards the, the scoring, you know, and, and like you miss the foreplay of getting to the. To you know, to the actual right, event, right? Not not to be crude, but you know, like it, it feels like you're you're missing the you know the, the previous eighty yards of, of interaction, which is kind of the fun part sometimes. Yeah, but the the, the kind of brilliant true. thing, the kind of brilliant thing about fantasy, right? And everybody's recognized this is it gets you watching games that your team's not playing in. Yeah, right, right. Which is yeah, that's so fascinating. Um, okay, so uh, you're a Panthers fan. David Ray, do you, do you have a, a favorite team? Yeah, I'm I'm sadly a New England Patriots fan. <laughs> oh, come on! <laughs> and really? a huge I don't know Tom anything Brady about the NFL, and that's terrible. I'm, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, so I can't talk. But I liked Dan Marino back in the late '80s, early '90s, and uh, I just stuck with it because back no when one... he was in Ace Ventura, was he in Ace Ventura? Yeah, he was definitely in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. <laughs> No, you know, no one in South Carolina that, yeah. likes the, the Carolina Panthers. And we've always said it should be the Charlotte Panthers. Like, if you like the NFL here, you're you're a Washington Redskins fan. Right, because that's all you had. I mean, like, everybody in that area was a Redskins fan pretty much, right, um, before we got the Panthers. I agree. I think I'm, It's definitely a North Carolina team, I feel like, even yeah. though it's Carolina Panthers. I definitely feel like it's a North Carolina it's team. Like, it's like you all try to call up, you know, Carolina for the Tar Heels. <clears throat> 
<laughs> well, I mean, you know, was the first um, public institution in the country. So All right, my, my wife Thomas is just doing my dirty work for me. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to get him to talk. <laughs> now, Mariana's a big Tar Heels fan. So, so when basketball comes around, we have to watch every freaking basketball game. And uh, it's, it's kind of like her with NASCAR, you know. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, this is fun for the first five laps, and then she'll leave. So I, I try to pretend like I know what I'm saying. Like, oh, wow, he really boxed him out. Wow, look at that. He's at the top of the key, and he made that great shot. And she's like, have you been have you been studying? Wow, that's 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 great. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go get a beer, and then I don't come back. And I just sit in the kitchen and check my phone for like two hours while she watches that. Um, so, so a little yeah. bit more on football before we – we move on. Um, <laughs> what I want to know is I want to get uh, David Ray's pick for the biggest game of the first weekend, which is Alabama versus FSU playing in Atlanta, number one versus number three. Yes, yeah, Clemson so versus uh, Clemson's versus uh, NC State. That's going to be much bigger in Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah. I, knew, I knew stuff. <laughs> I'm going to give you a hot take here, Thomas. All right, good. That's what I want. I'm going to put you on the spot. I didn't prep you for this beforehand. You didn't. I'm going to tell you that it doesn't matter. Okay, I'll I'll explain why. Both of these teams are so that's one and three right now, right? And if you look, if you a lot of the popular uh, commentators in college football are predicting both of these teams to still make the final four at the end of the year, and we know for for a fact that one of them is going to lose in this first game. So I think if Florida State plays them close, I still don't think it really matters if it's a loss or not. What needs to be worrying Florida State is the ACC stretch they play at the end of the year where they have NC State, Louisville, Clemson, uh, and those guys back-to-back-to-back. Just a brutal run. Just a brutal run. Yeah. Right. So I I still – I think Bama's probably going to win. But, uh, I mean, I think think the spread's seven points, so we'll see – it's going to be close, but I just think Florida State puts up a good game. That's really all that's going to matter come December when we're talking about who's going to be left in the Final Four. Okay, so I, one more question before we move on for, for football. <laughs> As someone who's, you know, yeah, I'm an outsider looking in. I'm, I'm like Eckhart Tolle thinking about my consciousness. <laughs> so when it comes to the scheduling stuff, okay, so Clemson, no, South Carolina, USC, the real USC, is playing – um, Wofford, my alma mater, little small liberal arts school, but we have a very ferocious team, and we play wing back. Like we don't pass the ball. There's like, I mean, you are terriers after all. Yeah, you are definitely ferocious, <laughs> and, and they play like it, and and they always do well in in the not FCS, in yeah, what what's the other one? Yeah, yeah, F- yeah. yeah, they're FCS, yeah, FBS, right. So they always get to like the tournament, and they they do well. They almost they got to, they almost won the championship a couple of years ago. And we we make like fifteen passes a year. No, we don't make them. We we attempt fifteen passes a year. <laughs> like, like, but we have four running backs basically, or halfbacks, whatever you want to call them, in the in the backfield. So they're playing South Carolina the week before South Carolina plays Clemson, which is the last game of the year of regular season for Clemson South Carolina. And a lot of people are saying like, wow, that's great for Wofford because they get that exposure, but it's going to be terrible for South Carolina because they're going to have to play this scrappy team. And, like, the last time we played here in Columbia against uh, we, Wofford, played South Carolina, uh, it was a very close game until, like, the fourth quarter, and then they blew it up. But but it kind of wore the team down. And, and now you're saying that Alabama is going to play Florida State in the first week, like, out of town? Like a bowl game almost, right? 
Yeah. So <clears throat> pretty much. So so why? I would say that, like, that's what, the way what, FSU what feels directors, about. Yeah. Why, why would an athletic director do either one of those? Or like like Clemson NC State. Like that's going to be a hell of a game for Clemson, but they're playing in Charlotte. You know, because it's neutral territory. But it's almost like a bowl game. Like it, I don't know. Like, well, this, so this trend feels weird. So part of the scheduling is you got to play people obviously in your um, uh, in your conference, and you know a lot of most of the time that's a home and home, right? Like one year you play, you know, like we we have home and homes with a lot of teams. So like we'll play uh, one year we'll play NC State in Tallahassee, the next year we'll play them in Raleigh, back and forth like that. Same with Clemson. So all, like with the ones in your conference shows you do that. Uh, with the ones outside of your conference, like a Wofford, honestly. I mean, they're scheduling it. They're paying Wofford uh, to play the game. They're oh, almost oh, guaranteed yeah. they're going to yeah. win. Right. So that's you know there there are various reasons why they do that, but you you kind of do the the out of town thing because it's I mean it's all money, right? It's all marketing, and it's kind of make to make it have this kind of bigger feel. Um, and this was planned. I mean, the Alabama FSU game for in Atlanta was planned you know two years ago, right? So, but I will say the way that like. Uh, South Carolina feels about Wofford is similar to the way that FSU feels about every time they play Georgia Tech, right? Really? Because it's like you know we're good enough to win, but yeah, they run that you know triple option and they're going to absolutely wear you out and come at your knees on every play. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but let's get insight from our expert here. What do you think, David? Well, I'll, I'll be brief because I know people probably don't care, but you hit the nail on the head on, on several of them. The other, the other thing to add is that with this Final Four, the playoff now, more and more teams are trying to play a legit contender in their, in their non-conference schedule so that let's say Florida State does go 10-2 and this year. Let's say they lose to Alabama in a close game and they lose to Clemson in the regular season. When this is over and that there are 10-2 and teams stacked up against another 10-2 and team, they can go, hey, yeah, we have two losses, but we lost to Alabama in week one, and we played them tight. And so that they want that to help their resume for when it comes to getting into oh, the playoff. Okay. That makes sense. So that's so also it's, it's, a big part of it. Yeah. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like uh, Second Samuel going against <laughs> Romans, right? Or, or, or Mark going against Second Kings. Yeah, because definitely Second Kings is um, the Bethune-Cookman of that matchup. <laughs> Oh, geez. I was going for Ball State. Ball State. Yeah. Yeah, well, we played Bethune-Cookman here. They have a fantastic band, I will tell you. Just absolutely amazing band. Uh, we played them in Tallahassee <laughs> a couple years ago. No, seriously, we know good bands. Like, we have FAMU here in Tallahassee, and FAMU has a fantastic band. The hazing incidents of the past few years notwithstanding. Uh, Bethune-Cookman, I, I think, is, kind of rivals the FAMU band. Um, but that's a what, what, what city or state is that in? That's a good... I mean, are, they're outside of, are they outside of Atlanta? Is that right? That sounds right to me. You always hear about um, them. No, uh, Daytona Beach. Never mind. It's completely really? not even in the right state. Yeah. Huh. Um, and they're a they're a, a Methodist school. Huh. Look at that. Yeah. So um, that was a pretty professional segue, and I kind of stole your thunder there a little bit. Um, but yeah, that brings us into finishing up round three in the Thinking Religion Bible Bracket Challenge. Uh, and we have, what do we have? We have six matchups tonight. And when I sent them, I sent them to uh, David Ray earlier today, he was like, oh, some weird matchups. It's like, <laughs> they, they are. They are quite weird. And, and some of them are actually really, really tough. 
Um, but Sam and I have had a week to marinate on this. I know that uh, David is prepared. Um, and so we're actually hoping that uh, for some of these, we're going to need uh, David to be our mediator, probably. Um, right? So he'll blow the whistle when somebody draws blood. Um, and then to, to be our tiebreak, probably, for some of these as well. Yeah. Yeah, you said on Twitter earlier that, that your job was not mediator, and I completely agree, but your job is tiebreaker. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> we, I've been we, thinking through it, and like I really just think that, especially I listened back to last episode, Romans and Second Samuel needs to be decided by you two. You guys need to come to an agreement on this one. Like, I feel like you need to go to counseling, and I'm here to listen, but like, I can't make the decision for you. I just, I really feel like this is something that you two need to work out between yourself. Thomas, is, is your wife there? Um, yeah, she's home. Because she'll she'll side with me. So can can we put her on? <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah. So so can we get Marianne on too? Because she'll probably side with me. Oh yeah, she definitely would. She she hates the Old Testament. Yeah, super sexy. Um, okay, but so are we gonna are we gonna start with Romans and Second Samuel? I mean, that's the first one we come to. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Okay, all right. So, all right, I'll let you. I'll let you start. We'll we'll see how oh, we yeah, do this. Yeah, or should we? Or should we make a coin? All right. All right. Here, here, have here. a coin? I don't have yeah, coins. I have, uh, have random.org. <laughs> okay. Can you hear me typing? Go. All right. So random.org. Yep. And I'm going to go to uh, Games Coin Flipper. This is, I used to be a science teacher. And this is what we did. So we're going to flip, uh, we're going to flip uh, two, two, we're going to flip one coin. And it's going to be a um, Roman Empire Aurelian Bronze Antoninus coin. Or should we do Maximus? Robot. No, ooh, Valentinian the second. Yeah. Yes. All right. Valentinian. Ready? You want to call heads or tails, or or Valentinius or whatever's on the back of this coin. <laughs> Valentinian. Oh uh, yeah, give me give me uh, Valentinian. All right, here we go. All right, big money, big money. Uh, big money. You got Valentinian. You get to pick. <clears throat> All right, so I'll let you go first then. <laughs> that was and then, I know. And then um. Oh, no, I gotta save this picture. Stupid Valentinian. And then uh, we'll let David go second. Is that how that's going to work? Yep. Is that okay. what I win by winning the coin flip? Did I get to go last? Yeah, yeah. You get to pick. It's like it's like college football. Like when right. all the guys go out and then they like bro hug. And they're like, yeah, it's just like that actually. Have a great game. And unless they're in Florida State where they just like steal the the crab legs out of your pants or whatever. <laughs> so all right, so I'm going to get Second Samuel. Second Samuel is going to win. No surprise. Romans is a heck of a book. It's done a, it's done a great job. It's one of my favorite books. In my channeling our president. Um, we, we've talked a lot about Romans in the last few weeks. And if you haven't listened to us, especially the first week, I think we really went in depth with, with some of the wonderful stuff in Romans. Yep. Um, first chapter, you can you can kind of skip over that. If, if you're, you know, if you're in a literalist mood. Uh, if you just want to kind of hop into the 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 feeling of of what paul was trying to do with his ministry i mean romans is by far the the best book to approach that does paul go to rome i don't know i mean you get the second and third century traditions oh i mean even i guess second century especially with ignatius and and clement in the first century uh that says he does go to rome and and he gets beheaded um or martyred they don't say beheaded that comes later uh but eusebius 
of course, the father of church history says that Paul gets beheaded by Nero, and that kind of sets the the president. But whether Paul really goes to Rome, I don't know. Um, and, and I like to think in some ways that he doesn't. And, and I mean, I know there's Luke Acts, and you know, Luke Acts talks about Paul being in Rome under house arrest, and maybe that's from a different tradition. But I, I love the the idea that maybe Paul was writing to these Romans, Roman Christians, and saying, look. I've got to go to Jerusalem and drop off this money because, you know, the bill collectors are really haggling me. And uh, if I don't get to Jerusalem and, and drop this money off, it's not going to go well. But if I do do that, it might not go well as well. So here's here's kind of my theological statement. And I know you all are doing great stuff. I really want to see you, but I really want to get to Spain because, you know, you're kind of a stepping stone for me. Right. Um, and, and I've always wondered, like, what was that interaction like? And And he's writing to these people who have never met him for the most part, um, or a community that doesn't know him, I, I guess you could say. I mean, whether or not people serve with him or not is, is a different debate. Um, but but it's got this weird texture to it. It's it's unlike, you know, First Corinthians or Galatians or Philippians or, or one of these books where we know Paul had, had been to that place and he knew the people there and he was writing intimate thoughts and, and reflecting on both his experience there as well as what he understood they were going through at the time after he had left or after he was going back there. Um, so it, it's got a different flavor to it. And like you said before, Thomas, it's definitely his most, I guess, theologically cohesive book because he's trying to prove yeah. a point here. Um, so it's, it's a wonderful collection. It, again, if you're listening to the show and, and most of you have read Romans and you read Romans regularly, but if you haven't read Romans, go pick up Romans. It, it's a, besides the first chapter, it's a very interesting uh, very drink, very um, telling book, I think, about what Paul views as the nature of uh, the people of God at the time. There was no Christianity. Uh, Judaism was in flux. There's a lot going on politically. The temple hasn't fallen yet, but there's a lot of stuff at play, both within Judaism and early kind of Jesus worship, if you will. And Paul is at the apex of that. And this book is the apex of his career. And as Paul is one of, if not the most important person in the New Testament. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like to I like to think that this book really kind of is the apex of of the New Testament in some ways, um, theologically. But Second Samuel for me what? is uh, is a story of it's a narrative of love, lost, redemption, and it it leads so well into First and Second Kings in a way that you, you can't dismiss it as just a collection of silly stories. So we get this incredible narrative of David, who's seen as, you know, the the the, the king of kings, if you will. Um, even though Josiah is, later on we find out, is, is as I said on the last show, and I got a lot of derision for it, but it's true. Josiah kind of being the, the central character of the Old Testament, and I still think that's the case especially in the, in the Deuteronomistic history. But David here kind of is the, the, the setup. You know, he, he's, the, um, he's the one that could have been. He was, he was the chosen one, if you will. So we get this incredible transition from Saul to David, and it's, it's told kind of from the perspective of Samuel, but then it shifts into this uh, other kind of outside third-person uh, narrator. And it, one of the things I always go into 2 Samuel and 1 Samuel, but definitely 2 Samuel, one of the things I always go in, sort of, 
with with uh, with goggles on, it's thinking this narrator is unreliable. You know, it's kind of like Moby Dick. You know, the, like the book starts with right. Ishmael. You know, and Ishmael is not a narrable, uh, a reliable narrator, a narrable, a reliable narrator. Like you, you're not really sure exactly um, if if you, should, if you should believe this person, this thing. Yeah, it's almost kind of like a like a Finnegan's Wake, postmodern type type story, um, or series of stories. But just the the ups and downs that uh, David goes through, um, you know, and, and the impact it's had both on religion as as well as you know outside things. I mean, William Faulkner, Absalom, Absalom, like like that that story of loss, seeing his son, you know, hang himself in the tree, and then kind of coming out of that and David being held up as this leader, but then that doesn't really hold up well because David gives away to Solomon and Solomon, you know, splits the empire, basically uh, splits the kingdom. So for me, second Samuel, it's such a great continuation of first Samuel and it leads right into first and second Kings, which again are, are just magnificent stories. So I, I'm gonna have to go ah, three two. I'm gonna. I know Romans is gonna win, so I'm just gonna. I'm, I'm gonna wow. fall upon my sword. I'm gonna go three two second Samuel, because I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep my powder dry. But just know. So so I'm I'm looking and I'm thinking you have Second Samuel you have First Kings and you have Second Kings I don't know what you're matchups, talking about matchups all tonight I don't know what you're talking about so there's about. no way that all three of those can win <laughs> there's no way all three of those are getting through I, I'm I'm keeping my powder dry Thomas I These... see that I see that so basically you're sacrificing Second Samuel because you're going to try to get both First and Second Kings in Absalom Absalom my beloved <laughs> wow. Wow, so you went 3-2, Second Samuel. And I rest my case. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, this is not going to be the matchup I thought it was going to be, unless unless um, David throws us a curveball here. No, guys, but I, I, I did my homework here, and I, I looked at the bracket before I came in, okay? There are 10 teams who have punched their ticket to the Sweet 16, okay? Eight of them are Old Testament books. 78 percent of, of the of the bible is old testament <laughs> fair fair you ready for this exodus genesis daniel first samuel hosea judges esther and ezra all have already punched their tickets eight yep. of them old testament john and matthew are the two new testament books that have punched their ticket <laughs> both gospels right yep. now Strong, let's keep yep. going let's keep going we have t- we have 12 teams who are left on the board tonight uh-huh. two or see um which leaves us with, I believe the number is 12 out of 18 teams remaining from the Old Testament. Sorry, 10 of the first 18 books of the Bible are still remaining. You're one of those Big 12 apologists. <laughs> <laughs> Here, and here's the other thing. Sam makes his point. He's keeping his powder dry. First Kings is going up against the Gospel of Thomas, which I don't know if he's delusional, but I think he knows that me and Thomas are probably going to sway that one. Mm-hmm. And then Second Kings versus Mark. Also, like, I don't, I mean, that's going to be tight. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I, I'm just saying, eight out of ten already in Old Testament books. That's all I'm saying, Sam. You, you've thrown your weight so far in this tournament. I, I'm not, this I'm not is, arguing This with is that. true. I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm just keeping my powder dry. I've got a strategy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I hear you. I'm like um, little finger. Here's, 
Oh yeah, Littlefinger and, and, and Sam. Did you watch this week? Littlefinger got his throat, throat cut. Yes, <laughs> ah, spoiler. <laughs> Beep. Yeah, spoiler. Sorry. If you want to email, um, that's David Ray Allen Jr. at hotmail.com. That's right. But yeah, still in the hot. Yeah. Um. Here's we. I feel like at this point we've gone through all the textual stuff that we want to go through. So I would like to make another application real quick. Uh, at my church in Chapel Hill. We began the book of Romans this week. Um, our pastor jokingly said that it would take us anywhere from one to four years to get through. That's about and, right. Right. And um, I'm going to let you guys do a little guessing game right quick. Uh, if I told you that my preacher preached for 48 minutes on Sunday, how many verses of Romans 1 do you think he did to get through 48 verse, I'm 48 minutes? 30. I was going to say he went through... Or verse 6. But yeah, maybe verse 3. Yeah. Yeah, he, gets, uh, he yeah. got through 7. seven. seven. Yeah, okay. that's what I was yeah. thinking. Just yeah. the first thing... Yeah, until he gets the thank you. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah and I'm not... You, like yeah. I said, I'm only a week and a half into Greek, but that's the longest run-on sentence I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> oh, yeah. one, 1 through 7. You got to read You got to read John 1. Yeah, oh, John <laughs> 1. Good, good point. Yeah, yeah. I say all this to say, forty-eight minutes in one one through seven. Although I was a little bit critical of it and said I think he could have probably done it in twenty-eight minutes, it speaks to the depth, so to speak, that you're going to see at Romans and the fact that you can go through it one to four years. And quite honestly, before Sam used the word "but" in his explanation, he proved the point of why Romans should win this matchup. I think that's right. Yeah, um, I, w- I could do more. I could read. I had a quote quote pulled up but i'm just gonna say three two romans and leave it at that all right so all right so so you said we've gone through all the textual stuff but we actually haven't gone through all the textual stuff in romans yeah right we, we really haven't Fair. done a lot of textual yeah. we have not really even touched the scratch you know scratch the surface of romans which is the point that you're making and i i, I think it's a it's a good point a couple things i want to point out the first is Sam throwing his shade at Romans 1. Okay. All right. Romans 1, it's got some issues. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to kid anybody. But here's what I'll say about Romans 1. Um, a lot of, you know, kind of liberal progressive Christians want to read Romans 1 and say, well, he's not really talking about this. And I know it sounds like he's talking about, you know, men having sex with men and women having sex with women, but it's not really that because he didn't have the modern understanding of homosexuality and all. Okay. All that stuff that you want to say, that's fine. I think, um, probably, I mean, Romans one, I, it's not a highlight for me. Um, but I think we're better off reading it and saying, this is what the words say. We have to think that this is probably how Paul understood it, but to best understand it and to understand how, um, early Christian authors understood it. You've got to read Bernadette Bruton's just yeah. uh, fantastic book, Love Between Women. Just an absolute fantastic book. She deals with female homoeroticism in early Christianity. And basically the the last half of her book is about this kind of the second half of Romans 1. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about this on the show, but I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Yeah, just fantastic, just brilliant, brilliant book. Okay, so I've got to say that. The other thing that I wanted to talk about, um, since we're on the topic of women, uh, is we get some fantastic women in chapter 16, right? So we get um, uh, Phoebe, who is a deacon, 
uh, at the beginning of 16 and not like some translators wanted to do it because they didn't think that women could be a deacon and call her a deaconess, right? right it's the masculine term to on there. Um, so we get that in 16, uh, 1 and 2, talking about Phoebe. And then we get the first woman apostle, Unia, in 16, 7, right? And you get this whole um, kind of translation history and even um, textual history where clearly people weren't, they were okay with it because they didn't have a problem with it. And then they weren't okay with it. And it's like, well, no, they couldn't. And so uh, Bruce Metzger writes uh, kind of a commentary on the, the kind of, this is going to be confusing if you don't know what I'm talking about. Basically the main critical edition of the Greek text that most people use is the Nestle Island. And I think what we're at 28 now is, is the, the, the version that we're at. And Bruce Metzger was the editor of that for a while. And so he has a commentary on that that basically goes through, here are some of the tougher decisions and here's how we made these decisions. And his commentary on this passage is basically that the other people on the committee that thought this should be um, accented this way to make it a masculine name as opposed to the way it actually is to make it a feminine name. uh, Basically their whole reason was they didn't think a woman could be an apostle. And also to you know, their explanation strains credulity because to say it would it should be accented this way to make it a masculine name actually creates a name that we have no record of anywhere in Greek uh, in any you know in this time period at all in any of the literature that we have right so there's making shit up because they didn't think a woman could be apostle um, and so I, I think that that's that's pretty big we've got to give a lot of props to Unia there I haven't touched on you know. I don't know anything else pretty much in Romans. Uh, but I, I do like the, I mean, it's about giving him money. Right. And, and the way I understand this, right. He's saying, yeah, I want you to send me on to Spain because he doesn't really care about Rome, but he wants to go through Rome and get their money is that what he is doing is he's had this beef with the Jerusalem church and he is trying to collect money and it is, you know, it's for the poor in uh, Jerusalem, but it's a, it's a gift offering. Because he's trying to mend this relationship, right, with the leaders of the Jerusalem church. Did it work? Did it not? I don't know. I think that's a very legitimate question that Sam brings up. Um, but it's kind of really interesting when you read it through that light as well, that it's basically a long uh, kind of fundraising pitch. Um, with all that said, I don't have to I, – I can I can save a little bit of uh, powder here as well and go 3-2 uh, Romans, and that will give Romans the win by a point. Because that's all that's needed. Uh, that, that was just cruel. I thought you were going to get like 5 out just to <laughs> put a dagger into it. But if you want to play that game. The Shunamite woman. She bears. I know you didn't even bring that. I know we've talked. Yeah, I know. We've uh, talked about that. Yeah, okay. Um, all right. Anyway. Okay. All right. So Romans moves through. So we've got another uh, New <laughs> Testament book that's made it to uh, Sweet 16. All right, what so an honor. <laughs> Thanks, David and Ray. So in round four now, we have Matthew versus Ezra. And then Romans versus Esther. Okay, so that so we know who's going to make it to the to the Elite Eight on that one. Do we? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so next up we have Judges. One no. of my favorite books. Versus. Oh, no. Uh, Judges. I'm sorry. Judges beat first. No. Nope. Right. Ooh, Revel- yeah. Rep. Revelation versus First Corinthians. So Judges beat First John last week, which is, you know, despite David Ray's uh, convictions, uh, uh, a good call. And then we have, <laughs> I'm just kidding, Revelation versus First Corinthians um, this week. 
That's a tough one. Um, All right, yeah. so Thomas, right, do you want to so start? I guess I need to start on this one. Um, here's the thing. This is a tough one. Um, this is a really tough one for me. We've obviously talked about the cultural cachet that Revelation has. Um, it's got just fantastic imagery. It's got so much going for it. It's got the city on seven hills, which is obviously a reference to Tallahassee, uh, which is great, right? We, we love all this. Uh, but it, and this is true that Tallahassee is on seven hills, just like Rome. But anyway, um, that's a joke that my students never got because they didn't know that Tallahassee was like the city of seven hills. So, um, I feel like Revelation, it doesn't... Okay, on the one hand, it needs loads and loads and loads of explanation because nobody actually, you know, very few people actually understand revelation. They think they do, but they don't know what they're talking about. But on the other hand, it doesn't need much explanation because so many people are interested in it. So many people have read it. So many people know a lot of the imagery, right? You've got the, uh, the whore of Babylon and you've got the seven seals and the seven trumpets and you've got the streets of gold and you've got the, um, you know, the, all the kind of 24 numerology stuff that would, kind of reference both the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. You've got all that stuff. Um, a lot of really interesting stuff. You get the new Jerusalem, you get all of that. Um, but yet I find myself leaning toward first Corinthians and this is probably not a big surprise. Um, so I guess I'll apologize to uh, Sheldon, uh, for this one, because I've got to go against the apocalyptic here and go with the epistle. And and here here's what I wanted to highlight tonight, because I think First Corinthians is a lot like Romans, right? It's kind of, it's so deep, just got so many layers there. Is I really wanted to highlight uh, the yeast metaphor in chapter 5. So just buckle in for a second. All right, so in chapter 5, I've already referenced this. He opens chapter 5 by talking about um, the man who's sleeping with the stepmother. Okay, so if your interest, it, it was not peaked. It should be peaked now. There's a guy doing it with a stepmom. Okay, so then he says, your boasting's uh, not a good thing. Do you not know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch, as you really are unleavened. For our Paschal lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old yeast, yeast of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral persons, not at all meaning the immoral of this world, or the greedy or and robbers or idolaters, since you would then need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister, who is sexually immoral or greedy or is an idolater, uh, reviler, drunkard, or robber. You don't even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging those outside? Is it not those who are inside that you are to judge? God will judge the outside, drive out the wicked person from among you. Okay, so the, this is kind of a little detail here that's easy to look over, and that's where he talks about the little yeast leavening the whole batch of dough. And what we see here is we see how Paul understands disease, right? How does he understand how disease works? And I, what I would say is that he understands it in the way that most early Christians understood it, and that's through an invasion ideology. The idea that little things will invade your body, and that's what makes you sick, which is kind of, you know, uh, maybe surprisingly to some people, 
very similar to our current understanding of how disease works, right? A germ gets in, an infection gets in, something like that comes into our body, and that's what makes us sick, and it spreads that way. Well, so not only does Paul understand like the actual health of a physical body that way, but he understands uh, the health of groups that way as well and conceives of them as bodies, right? You know, that he already uses the metaphor of, you know, the body of the church is the body of Christ and the hands and the feet and the eyes, etc. And so there's a really great book on this too uh, by Dale Martin called The Corinthian Body, where he talks about this a lot. But one of the reasons I like this is because this is also how one of my uh, favorite early Christian authors, Epiphanius, understands both disease of the physical body and how heresy works, which is really interesting, right? Because the idea is that if you get like one heretic, quote unquote heretic, in the group, then that's clearly going to spread like yeast rises, and that's going to infect the entire group. And so your social group is understood as a body, and to protect the health of the body, you have to protect the boundaries, right? Which, Which is kind of a really complicated way to say that's pretty much how most people understand social groups today, too. Right. That's how people on the right understand it. That's how a lot of people on the left understand it, particularly as you get more to the fringes, that we have to have this purity. Right. We can't let these kind of moderate Democrats in or we can't let these um, you know, blue dogs in or we can't let these socially liberal uh, Republicans in our group. Right. Um, so it's, it's I think it's kind of fascinating. And, and it's this like little window that we get uh, just because Paul talks about yeast. So anyway, just an example of the layers that we get in First Corinthians. Uh, but. This was a tough matchup for me, so I've only gone three to First Corinthians. All right. Well, I can't believe it was only three two after that. I, I know, but like four one. Yeah. I know. Hmm. All right, David. What do you got here? Thomas, you are so smart. You're too. <laughs> and let me tell you something. You're too smart for this. Okay, we need to get. We need to send you somewhere. I don't know where yet, but we're gonna. You need like, you just need to read. I think you just need a podcast, not a separate podcast. Well, yes, it's gonna have to be a separate podcast. I'm not telling you to quit this. I'm just telling you, you just need to start giving your own commentary, and we're just gonna call it the Thomas commentary. I think it's gonna be the next big thing. I think you're gonna be a hit. We could call it the Gospel of Thomas. We could. That sounds good. (laughs) I like that. I don't think. Yeah, that's a pretty good catchy name. I think. You're in the next Sean Hannity. Like you start off in, in, a, in a in a you know show with with a liberal who's you know just kind of there, and then you split off into your own thing. Yeah. Well, here's the this thing. Is... I I read my notes when I'm listening to you, and I'm like, okay, this I'm going to sound like a dumbass after he, he reads. <laughs> All right. So here are my here are my two main points for both of these because we have to do six of these, and I think we've been on this air for an hour, so we got to quite hurry up a little bit. We got to push it along. You're right. Okay. None of these necessarily should have made the, the canon, so to speak, but you have the Apocalypse of Paul, the Apocalypse of Peter, the Apocalypse of Thomas, the Apocalypse of Stephen. You have the Shepherd of Hermas, first Apocalypse of James. I think there's even a second one. There are, mm-hmm. There's a lot of apocalyptic literature in early Christianity, that, in early Christianity, and Revelation is the one that makes the cut. It reminds me of Florida Gulf Coast, for instance, a team that it had, to, had to play its way in, right, to, to the tournament had to defeat everybody else. There wasn't going to be two of them into the tournament. There are not going to be two teams from the Big Sky or Big South that make the tournament. So for that respect, I respect Revelation. Um, obviously, you know, there are still classes and books being written about this. My dad's best friend calls me after every Game of Thrones episode to talk about 
whatever theory he has. And then the last one, he ended it by saying that he's had a lot of free time and he's been writing some, for lack of a better term, fan fiction about Revelation. <laughs> nice. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Not about not about Thrones, about Revelation. He was like, so if you see a big Microsoft Word document in your email soon, you'll know what it's about. I was going to say, do I, know who the, do I know this friend? No, you don't. But I just oh, want to okay. tell you that there's nothing worse you can hear than your dad's best friend telling you he's written some fiction about the book of Revelation. <laughs> Is there a Revelation wall? Revelation fanfic. There's, there's got to be a wall. <laughs> I, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Um, white walkers the great white throne it all makes sense <laughs> there you have it um i i feel like i did for i was like i was here the last time we did first corinthians and we made the joke about trump having it being his favorite book right. i'm trying to remember what else i said about it aside from the fact that i'm just not sure to me personally it doesn't stand out as a staple of the new testament and my whole point of 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 listing the apocalypse apocalyptic literature is that revelation and in whatever way, metaphor you want to use it, fault its way into the canon. And I'm not sure that First Corinthians, that Revelation, Revelation's a bookend as well, right? It kind of ends it for it ends the canon for lack of a better term. Um, I'm rambling now. I'm gonna go three two Revelation. Oh, snap, dog. All right. Well, I'm gonna save my my argument for next week, but. Um... Yeah, uh, you know, Jesus was a fan of apocalypse literature. There's a lot of apocalypse literature floating around. First Corinthians is a good book, but when it comes to which one's the better book, you, you, you can't beat Revelation 20 uh, with, with the Great White Throne. So the, the defeat of Satan, yeah, and then, and then you get the, the New Jerusalem floating down from, from the sky. Uh, it, it was such a big part of early Christianity, and, and we get this kind of lip service to, to apocalypse literature. Uh, with Revelation, but yeah, I, I agree with everything Thomas and, and you said, David, David Ray. But um, I got to go three two Revelation as well. So bringing on First Corinthian lovers, um, but yeah, Revelation's going to win. It's going to be judges. You think we could get Revelation. Trump to call in and explain why he would pick Revelation five oh? I'm sorry, why he would pick First Corinthians five oh over Revelation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could probably do that. Yeah, for sure, we could do that. You know, I'll um, I'll, uh, I'll email the, uh, the the guy over at the Kremlin. I'll find his email address on the website. Yeah, exactly. See if I email can... Sater. Yeah, <laughs> get can, Putin. Can you... get, we're, we're gonna get Putin on this. We're get, we haven't heard buddy, from Trump yet. Buddy, but we really we're gonna get your show. boy on the show. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's a great book. It has the best verses, right? <laughs> yep. They're trumpets. Wow. Okay. Right. Um, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, sorry. Can okay. you just imagine Trump having to read uh, uh, the exact script of everything that Thomas just said? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's there's diseases on many sides. Many yeah. sides. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, here's the next matchup: Job versus Hebrews. And I, I think it's um, I think it's David's turn to go first on this one. Um, yeah, I don't know. Tell us what you got. This is a this is a tough matchup, but for a different reason than some of the other ones. So let me ask you then: Are we trying to finish all six of these? Should I, should I hurry? Because I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about this one, but I'm just for future reference. Are we going to try to get through all six? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna knock it out tonight. Okay, so I'm I went with this one: Book, Book of Job, four to one over Hebrews. Oh wow! Wow, 
Wow, there you go. How about that? The Job fascinates me for several reasons, and I actually, if it's funny that we're doing this because I can't. I think it was earlier this summer, Thomas. Correct me if I'm wrong, or was it last year? When I I've, I've yep. called Thomas within the last twelve months and talked to him about questions I had about this because. I don't know. There's something about this. Every time I read it, I think of something new. I, I have a hard time with something different. And this is why I call Thomas and he sets me straight. This is kind of how life works for, for me. Whenever something's you know drastically wrong, Thomas, you can usually fix it. But we address the problem of theodicy, right? We, we, we're trying to understand this through, this through the lens of the story of Job. Um, I don't know. Like it's, it's just, it, for me, it's a book that it's evergreen. You guys like that in the sense that I feel like every time that I turn to it, I've got something. I'm, I'm learning something new. That makes sense. So, for instance, like I'm trying to think of another New Testament. Not, I mean, sorry, Old Testament book. Not to say that like Second Samuel. I mean, I'm sure you could pick up something new in Second Samuel every time. But there's just something about Job and what its purpose is that, to me, is compelling. Um, and yeah, I mean, so that, that's I mean, that's the main reason why I went for one there. I'm trying to think of what I can even tell you about Hebrews that's going to stand out. <laughs> I, I'm really curious on why why there were the big groans. I know Hebrews is generally thought to be um, one of the most uh, well written books of the New Testament. Is that correct? Uh, like like in its Greek, it is in the Greek. Yeah, the Greek is yeah, the, the Greek is the, good. The, the Greek is the good. Greek is the Greek good. is yeah, fine. Yeah. yeah, for the New Testament, the Greek is fine. <laughs> Show title: The Greek is good. Let me write this down. But yeah, no, it is. It is. And and the the I mean, even the theological concepts, the you know the kind of the philosophical approach is is very different from Paul generally. And uh, yeah, oh, it's yeah, good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and even I. I one of the notes I made about Hebrews specifically is even in the first three verses you get, he is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he said, wait, that's not it. I skipped part of it. But anyway, this, the word, I mean, it's not the Greek obviously, but even the wording of that is well written. And I don't know, maybe I, I could be wrong. You guys kind of gave the, uh, as if maybe not, but I, that's one of the things I noted is that generally speaking, people talk about Romans. I mean, sorry, people talk about Hebrews as if it's one of the well, more well-written in Greek books in the New Testament. Anyway, four one, Job. Let the let the pounding command. You guys can disagree all you want. So, okay, here's the thing. Um, I don't know if it's my turn or not, but I'll go anyway. Um, yeah, go ahead. You're gonna lose. So I. Um, I guess on the one hand, it's not really surprising because, right, what happens with Hebrews is most of the time you're sitting there thinking like, okay, what did they talk about in Hebrews? You got Melchizedek, and I guess that's kind of cool. And you got the whole, like, cloud of witnesses <laughs> and the faith chapter in chapter 11, but like, eh, I don't know what else. I mean, there's a lot. There are kind of really um, well-developed theological and philosophical concepts in Hebrews. That counts for something. Yeah. Um, for sure. What, to me, and I probably already mentioned this about Hebrews, maybe not, though, that really stands out to me and really knocks it down quite a bit, is it's pretty much supersessionism 101. And 
I can't really get behind that. Sam and I did this whole thing on Jewish Christian relations. We spent a lot of time traveling around the country, um, talking to people, talking a lot about supersessionism. We did a few other things, uh, particularly in Charleston and Savannah, but that's not probably show appropriate. Um, Right. So basically, real quick, supersessionism is the idea that Christians have superseded Jews as God's chosen people. There are a host of problems with that, even though I think most Protestants uh, probably hold some form of supersessionism. That's really difficult for me. I am likewise intrigued by the book of Job. I love how it opens up. It tells us from the beginning, Job is blameless and upright. But there's no question about it. Now, of course, you got God being here, maybe not the best person figure. Um, he's like people are just coming up, and then the accuser, you know, Hasatan, uh, comes up, and God's like, "Hey, where you been?" He's like, "Oh, just you know, going to and fro on the earth." He's like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool." Do you see my boy Job? And you're like, "All right, cool." Like God's got his back. I see that. That's cool. And he, and then it's like, no, no, God doesn't have his back. He's like, "Yeah, let, let's kind of screw with him a little bit and see if he, you know, see if he still has faith." And God's like, "Oh, yeah, sure, let's do that. Let's screw with him a little bit." Um. So basically, this is going to be blasphemy to a lot of people. Uh, Job is really good. The book of Job is fantastic, largely apart from where God shows up. Because, you know, at the end, of course, like chapter 36 and following, he's just like throwing this God card like, oh, yeah, were you there when I created the mountains? Anyway, so I think Job's got a lot of really good things going for it. I'm all for anybody uh, being understood to be blameless and upright, right? Paul says the same thing about himself. Though, I'm, eh, you know, Paul's a little bit of, air, you know, a little arrogant, um, right? He says, according to law, is blameless. Um, yeah. So this for me is I went three two Job over Hebrews mainly because, you know, Hebrews does have the kind of uh, theology and philosophy that maybe some people like. Um, I just don't like what the actual theology is. So three, two, two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you guys nailed it, covered it well. Uh, we'll talk more about Job next week, evidently. Um, I'm going to go with Job on this one, just not only because it's in the Hebrew Bible, but because Job is a book that, as uh, you know, David Ray said so well, like it, 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 it's got so many layers to it. As does Hebrews. I mean, there, there's some fun theological stuff in there, and, and not fun, but, you know, it's a very complex theological entity. Does Hebrews, just like you were saying with Revelation, like, does Hebrews belong in the New Testament? Like, there's arguments to be made there about how canonization occurred, and... It only gets in because they think Paul wrote it, which is, like, well, the, some, one some of the most laughable things like, I've ever heard, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and still today, you'll hear people say, like, well, when, when Paul says in Hebrews, and you're like, ah! Like, if that book had not made it into the New Testament, a lot of things would be different as far as supersessionism goes. Um, Mikhail said, those, those things are wonderful, and it, it's an interesting story, and it gives us a, a kind of a weird look into one aspect of early Jewish-Christian relations, but it's a very limited look, and it's a very late book. I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm just going to knock it out of the park, because I really love Job, and, and I love, like you said, Thomas, the, the, the uh, I guess, the, the theophany, but but the also the, the, the beginnings of what we see as um, the figure of Satan, 
and yeah. and how much that plays into the rest of the Old Testament, but also the New Testament and and current you know kind of popular notions of of, of uh, Satan and, and the Hasatan figure there is just uh, I'm gonna say really well written because it, it's it's it wasn't written to be that, but it, it's got a such a weird unique flavor to it and. You know, you, you can dip into it from a from a Malcolm Russell sort of, um, you know, I'm, I'm studying Satan point of view, but you can also dip into it from a existentialism point of view or a Kierkegaardian point of view. Um, you know, as, as you were saying, David Ray, and it's got all these like onion layers into it. Um, and I spent a lot of time studying Job and, and literature, as you can imagine, with, <laughs> with my religion and literature background. So I'm going to talk more about Job. It's one of my, like every book in the Old Testament, it's one of my favorite books. So I'm going to go... <laughs> Because I, I, I don't like, uh, I don't like Hebrews and Ephesians, and Colossians. So I'm gonna go five zero for Job and just put a put a, nice. a garlic necklace around Hebrews and and sink it into history. So Hebrews, you had a good run. You, you beat First Esdras and, uh, and and the Book of Martian, one of which didn't exist. But <laughs> not saying a whole lot. <laughs> you, well, First Esdras is. It's it's interesting. Yeah, but, I mean, it's know. okay. Hebrews got Hebrews got an easy draw. Yeah. It, it, Hebrews is wearing four inch heels in, in into a hurricane. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. All right. So next up we have John. Nope. No. John B. Zachariah. Sorry. Oh God. All right. We're gonna have to be quick. We're uh, we're officially one hour in now. So I know <laughs> we had a few minutes before the pre-show. We're halfway uh, through. <laughs> <laughs> These next three matches are. Well, do you want to do James Deuteronomy first, or do you want to go ahead and? Hop no, in let's do it. Let's 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 yeah. Let's go. Um, let's <clears> go. <throat> full steam ahead. Gospel Thomas you, you, versus oh, First Kings. Yep. All right, who's starting this one? Are you starting this one, Sam? Are you going to roll right into it? it isn't that David Ray? Is, is my I turn? went first last time. I'll be, I can go first again if you want me to. No, let's make know. Sam go first on this one. Yeah, yeah. If it's my turn. All right. Um, my final score is going to be four one, First Kings. And you all know my proclivity for the Deuteronomistic history. First Kings is is a book that I hope to to get to expound on a little bit more. But I'm just going to say, um, the the creation of what we now know as as Israel really kind of starts in this book. Uh, you can't look at First, Second Kings, or First Samuel, Second Samuel, or even Deuteronomy as historical books that are kind of you know in place after Joshua Judges. Um, it, the way our Western uh, sort of uh, uh, European North American mind works, where we try to say, well, there was the Torah, and then, then we have you know these historical books, and then you get the writings after that, and it's all in one straight line, and that's how it was written, and that's how it happened. Uh, of course, that's not the way it happened, um, and we have things like chronicles that help back that up. But when you read First Kings through the lens of Second uh, Kings and, and and kind of that Deuteronomistic history of setting up Josiah as the ultimate uh, central figure in the Old Testament, leading up to that, um, it's it's a it's a fascinating piece of ancient history. Uh, I don't think it was written in the 8th century or 7th century or you know, 6th century or anything like that. I think it was a much later book. But uh, in terms of being a, a book that, from a, a redaction critical point of view and, and also a historical critical point of view, um, 
gives us so much insight um, in, into how and why we have the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. It's not historically accurate, and that's not the point. But <laughs> I, as you know, many modern Christians today will say, like, "Well, first kings," and like, "Here's what happened," and, and clearly, like, this king was a terrible king. Um, no, and that's even more evident in Second Kings. But in this artificial division where we hand over First Kings, uh, the the stories that we get, the the, the narrative that we have of um, these these uh, sort of northern kings versus southern kings existing alongside Egyptians and Assyrians primarily and people in Lebanon and Syria for, for a little bit. Um, it, it gives us a, a unique lens into a world that we can't necessarily inhabit. And again, it's not history, but the narrative of it, it is just so fascinating to me. Um, Second Kings is... is my more favorite book of these two. Uh, put them together. It's kind of like First Samuel, Second Samuel. It's hard to say which one is going to be a better book. But um, when, when you look at the, the whole thrust of this collection of, of stories, uh, it really is, to me, kind of the central point of, of the Old Testament. Um, so therefore, I mean, I, I have to go with that. Gospel of Thomas, fantastic. Thomas, you of all people know how much I love the Gospel of Thomas. However, um, it doesn't get... It doesn't get a, a, a save from, from the ravages of time. It's only rediscovered. Um, there's kind of a, a unique depiction of Jesus. It's not necessarily a gospel. It's more of a sayings material type book. We call it a gospel in our you know, 19th, 20th, 21st century Western European worldview. Is it a gospel? You know, that kind of thing. Um, saying 42 is fantastic. Then the, you know, I forgot which one I didn't write this down, you know, lift up a piece of wood and I'm there saying it's fantastic. Just just the 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 humanness of, of the Gospel of Thomas, you know, sort of portraying the struggle between uh, the divine and, and the material world. Not in a sense that the material world uh, world is, is completely evil, but um, looking at the Gospel of Thomas as a, as a guidebook to enlightenment in a way that... Um, we as 21st century people can never sort of penetrate it's frustrating because you kind of want to understand what thomas means at the end there when he says that you have to become a male to enter the kingdom of god and it's like what do you mean by that (laughs) how does that work um and 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 some of the things just don't you know they, they don't fit into our modern conception of what it means to be um I don't know, like a like a, a, a progressive Christian or, or or a conservative Christian or whatever type of Christian you are, and, and you're trying to use Gospel of Thomas to prove your point. Plus, you get the whole aspect of the Dan Browns of the world trying to use Gospel of Thomas as some sort of hidden secret narrative that the, the I'm sorry the Catholic Church was trying to hide and and bury in the desert because um, you know it was presenting uh, these views into the real type of Jesus that that you know normal people shouldn't have access to, which is is damaging in the same way that. Uh, supersessionism is with Hebrews. Um, Maybe not in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, so uh, um, for for me, the approachability of First Kings, when you really read it, when you, when you sit down and, and you, you go through First Kings and you read Elijah and Elisha and, and you start like thinking about the prophetical nature of the Old Testament and you see that this is not a book about kings it, early on as much as it is about, as it is about Elijah and Elisha. 
and it's very approachable in a way that Gospel of Thomas is not. And for me, if a book's going to be the best book in the Bible, it's got to be something that a modern-day person can pick up and read and, and pull something from, like Job. Um, so therefore, i got to go with First Kings. But I know I'm going to get slaughtered on this, and I'm not going to be upset if, if Gospel of Thomas wins. I'm just trying to, uh, you know, wet my powder a little bit. Okay, so um, last time we talked about Gospel of Thomas, I had a bunch of sayings. Uh, I've only got one saying, uh, one Logion from the Gospel of Thomas for tonight, and that's saying 37. His disciples said, when will you appear to us and when will we see you? Jesus said, when you strip without being ashamed and you take your clothes and put them under your feet like little children and trample them, then you will see the Son of the Living One and you will not be afraid. Gospel of Thomas 4.1. And we're going to have more time to talk about what that actually means next time. <laughs> I was going to say. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Anyway, David. Right now, I feel like, um, I don't know if you guys watch Mayweather and McGregor, but I feel like I'm in the I'm in the room right now, and somebody's taping my hands up before they put the gloves on, and somebody's, like, <laughs> punching me in the chest, like, getting me ready. That's, that's what I feel like. I feel like I'm getting ready. Um, Are you going to wear white gloves like, little, like uh, yeah, McGregor sure, did? Sure, yeah. Some high I, music? Yeah, of course. Uh, I had... Four or five uh, marked off, and thirty-seven was one of them. Thomas, that's how we uh, we think alike. Yes, I'm sitting yes. in my desk right now with a wooden sign of B Passers by right ahead of it. One of my favorites as well. Yep. Um, wait, wait. Did, did uh, Thomas? Also, did you give it, Thomas? Did you give a, a rating? Yeah, four one. That? Oh, Gospel of Thomas. Yes. God bless. <laughs> okay, sorry, 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 Dave Ray. Oh, you're, you're fine. Uh, I'd like middle. to. I'd like to also say that. Um, I just bought tickets to Bon Iver in November. They're coming to Durham, also known as Bon Iver. I, people say it either way, whatever, anyway. I was uh, about to say, that's a whole sidebar about how we pronounce that. Right, right, right. Bon Iver. So, yeah. yeah, it was a big deal. just bought tickets. Bon Iver. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, it's Bon Iver. Bon Iver, good winner, or whatever. Anyway, um, the last song on his new album uh, called Zero, 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 A Million is the last song. There's a line in it that says, I think I've told Thomas this before, uh, a word about gnosis. It ain't gonna buy the groceries. <laughs> and that's a line from Bunny Bear's new album. I just well, want to drop that in there. But once you get that's the a, gnosis, you don't need groceries. Ex- <laughs> it's, like, it's like having a man bun. <laughs> like, you don't. Never mind. I like Bunny Bear or Bun Iver. So, what's your Bonnie score? Bear. What's your score, David? And I just want to talk about. I just want to. We could do a whole world. I just. I don't know, man. We got abstinence from the world and three or four different logians. You get light versus dark, spirit versus body. There's overcoming dualities and making the two one. The kingdom is within us. It's not something to come. It's all over the earth. Wait, wait. Are are you are you reading like like Death Cab for Kitty lyrics? Because it sounds. (laughs) There you go. See, we got we've, we've got some haters. Uh, I'm going. I'm like going four one. That's be nice. I can go five. But honestly, I'll go four one. That's fine. For for first kings, right? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so the New Testament and the New Testament adjacent is nice. um, is pulling is close to pulling even here. Okay. Um, All right. I'll start off James Deuteronomy. Wait, no. Did I start Gospel Thomas? No. No. I did. Sam did. Okay. Um, I'll start off James Deuteronomy. Here, Deuteronomy is deep. There's no question about that. But 
That's I all I've got to say about it. <laughs> I don't know, something about a second law, whatever. Right? <laughs> Here's yes. the thing, okay? There are no. parts... Uh, For me, James is very timely. Okay, Take this from uh, chapter 2, for instance. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works, can your faith save you? The implied answer there is no. Snaps. If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. I could keep on going, but basically the point is here, um, well, we'll get to the point in chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. I like it. I like it. I mean, right, we've got this, um, you definitely have the solid foundations of a, a good, strong uh, liberation theology here. You've got... Um, you can't just sit around, you know, do you believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder, okay? So believing isn't getting you anywhere. you got to do something with that belief. James 3.2 over Deuteronomy. All right. 3.2? Three, three, yep. All right, David. I'm trying to pull up a passage right quick. Um. Uh, well, I'll, I can't find it. That's okay. Well, anyway. Okay, but you have another great passage, right? If, you, if you're, maybe I'll stall a little bit and give you a second to find it if you're looking for it. I don't know if this one you're thinking of, but another one that's especially timely is the whole bit about the tongue in chapter three and, you know, it's setting on fire the cycle of nature. Et yeah, what verse? Is, where is that? That starts in like verse six. Okay. Yeah, verse yeah. six. Yeah, three. Six. Is that what you were thinking of? That's what I was going with, Thomas. Exactly. We're, yeah. we're, we're on the same page here. All right, here's another thing. As I said, I hate to do this again to you, Sam, but let's read this again. Genesis and Exodus are already in. Do we need Deuteronomy? You finish your bit, and I'll do my bit. I'm just looking at this, right? right I'm just, I'm, I don't know. I mean, Tom, again, Thomas goes first and steals a lot of my thunder, but I mean, that was the one, the, one of the notes I had written down next to James is timely. It's, it, it reminded me exactly of uh, the Joel Osteen stuff that we talked about earlier. Um, I've already lost that verse again, but Thomas had it. Uh, let's see. Uh, three, six. Oh, well, that one. But I was thinking, is it three, six, the one I was? The tongue is a fire. Oh, well, yeah, I, I was, I was going to go with the one that you actually read about. Um, three, 14. That, yeah, yeah, yeah two, whatever. 14, I need to get my Bible out. That would probably help. Um, I just... I'm just not sure yeah. we need Deuteronomy yeah. left. Like, I'm looking at this as the Sweet 16. Like, we need to well represent everything. Do I'm just, do we need Deuteronomy? Sam, it's, I'm, I'm asking you. I'm going, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. I'm going to go 4 1, James. Mm. Gosh. <laughs> wow. Mr. Luther is uh, rolling over in his <laughs> grave. That's all the more reason to vote for James. <laughs> Tulip, y'all. All right. Um,. No, I, I hear you. And and yes, Deuteronomy is kind of the Michigan of the tournament. But how, how many how many people have you referred to as the Michigan of the tournament? <laughs> Honest question. That's all I know. <laughs> They're the Kansas State of the tournament. Huh? Huh? There we go. There we go. Let's get let's There's, consult uh, the table. What, what Cougars? <laughs> Cougars? Aren't they the Cougars? Wildcats? They have, they have yeah, a Wildcats. Cat. No, no, yeah, yeah. They're the Wildcats, yeah. Okay. Cougars or something else. 
that's when Thomas and I go out to the bars. All right, so one thing what about, means is that we're cougars. <laughs> What's the mail? No. All right, so um, the the one thing I'm going to say for Deuteronomy, and it doesn't matter because it's seven to three now, unless I go five zero, which I'm tempted to do, but I'm keeping my powder dry. Um, Deuteronomy, fantastic book. Keep in mind that Hilkiah discovers this thing as he's cleaning out the temple. You know, the temple's gotten a little little ratty, and uh, everyone's like, hey, the, you know, the, this temple used to be beautiful. What's going on here? And Josiah's like, hey, why don't you go clean out my temple, you priest? And, and Hilkiah goes back, and he, he's cleaning out some storerooms, and he finds this, quote, book, brings it to Josiah, and he says, hey, we, we found this book of the law. Like, this is the law that we should be following. And Josiah reads it, and he, he tears his clothes, and he puts on sackcloth, and then he reads it to all of Jerusalem, and, and people are, are astonished, and, and everyone repents, and Josiah goes on this crazy theistic um, uh, campaign of uh, tearing down the high places in Bethel, and, and up in Shechem, and, and he just knocks down all these Asherim, and, and it, it becomes like this national identity, and, and Josiah, at this time of, of weakening uh, uh, Assyrian Empire and uh, an Egyptian uh, nation-state, whatever, we, they're not nations at this time, but this Egyptian you know place, uh, the, whatever commit we want to call it, um, they're, they're on the ascendancy, but they're still having some issues, and, and the pharaoh has just died, and Josiah politically and religiously sees this as a moment to really codify what it means to be from Judah and from Jerusalem. And he uses this text uh, of Deuteronomy uh, to, to lead this thing, and he goes up to, to Megiddo, and he fights the pharaoh Nico as, he's, as Nico and the Egyptians are coming back from a pretty rough uh, tour up, up in Syria, trying to help out Oddly enough, their enemies, the Assyrians, because the Neo-Babylonians are rising up, and poor Josiah gets cut down. And if you read Chronicles, it's a little different, but uh, in, in Deuteronomy, we, or in Second Kings, we get this, this different telling of what happens to Josiah. But it's this book that really starts everything, and it's this book that leads to not just that, but also, if, if you read you know, a little bit of Jesus, you get some, some, uh, some Deuteronomy where Jesus cites Deuteronomy 6.5 as the great commandment in Matthew. And, and they ask, what, what should we do? Like, well, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus brings out Deuteronomy 6.5. The Shema. Right. And, you know, hero here, uh, Israel, uh, the Shema Yisrael, you know, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Uh, and and it's, you should love the, your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And then love each other. Um, so I mean, we can we can pick, you know, we can pick pretty verses out of James. And I'm not saying James is not a great book. It is a great book. Is it better than Deuteronomy? No. If we're looking at this bracket as a as a total bracket to say, um, well, we, we've we've got our quota so far, then that's that's an argument. But I'm I'm not going to fall for that argument. So I'm going to go and follow my sword. Um, so if we do one there, that's going to be uh, eight. And if we do three there, yeah. So I'm, I'm gonna do, uh, I'm gonna do. Uh, uh, this is hard. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give Deuteronomy the win. I'm gonna go four one Deuteronomy, so that gives James eight points and Deuteronomy seven points. 
You know, there's essentially been a line drawn in the sand between you two when I listen back to these things. And it's it's no offense to either of you. It's entertainment versus maybe prowess is the right word. Like Second Samuel versus Romans is a perfect example of like, if you want this to be entertainment, then Second Samuel wins nine times out of ten. But if you want it to be what has the wider reach, so to speak, then it's Romans, right? So like, the middle ground is pretty hard to find. Is it? Am I fair to say that? I don't know about Deuteronomy yeah. though. I mean, th- I think Deuteronomy. Yeah, you're James, right. You're I, right. I think Deuteronomy is a much okay. more impactful book than James. I'm just going out here as a white male says <laughs> Christian, but you know, Deuteronomy kind of holds a lot of weight in terms of biblical books, but. So there has been a line drawn in the sand with this last matchup. And I I don't know whose turn is it to start on this one. I don't know if it's mine or not, but I'm going to, I'll start. I'll, um, I'll let somebody else, um, bring us home. Um, we have second Kings versus Mark to give you an idea. So we're, taking some books to my wife's office at the church the other day and a bunch of, you know, a bunch of my books, commentaries and things like that. She's putting on her shelf, she's putting them in uh, order. And um, so naturally I put Mark and then I put Matthew and she had to correct me and say, that's not the canonical order. And I was like, Oh, sorry, (laughs) because Mark is obviously the first gospel and the best gospel. Okay. Um, And for me, I know Sam has been saving his. I've been saving mine as well. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. There's no suspense on this. Uh, I'm going Mark five zero over Second Kings. I've talked a lot about Mark. Again, there's a lot more to talk about, right? You want apocalypse? Mark has his little apocalypse in chapter thirteen, right? You can whet your appetite with with a little apocalypse there. But here's what I want to talk about with the Gospel of Mark tonight. I want to talk about adoptionism, okay? Mm. Um, not just because I actually in real life, was adopted. Um, but because I think that adoptionism gives us something really interesting when we read the Gospel of Mark. Mark has the lowest Christology. Um, there is, it is very easy, and some may say necessary, to read Jesus in Mark as human. And nothing more than that. And so you get this understanding of adoptionism, that that Jesus the human was good, maybe kind of like Job, right? Upright and blameless, and, and found God's favor, and God then adopted Jesus as his son, so to speak, um, and the Spirit then indwells him in chapter 1, right? The Spirit descends on him like a dove, just as he comes up out of the water from his baptism. And then the Spirit leaves him in chapter 15, uh, when he's on the cross, and he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right, just, you know, you talk about, um, this would be, I, I think, uh, David, to, to your point about kind of the entertainment and the prowess, I think Mark has both. Right, we had a little uh, we had a little Bible battle. Sam and I did going back and forth on Twitter today. D Ray had to step in and say, "Okay, school it off, go to your corners." <laughs> and I didn't drop this one in there. Um, right, I dropped in one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Right in chapter six, where it's you know the disciples are out on the boat on the on the water, and the storm is raging around them, and Jesus is walking toward them on the water, and it says, 
he intended to pass them by. He's like, I see you over there. I'm good. I'm just going to keep on going. Okay. I love that kind of disinterested Jesus. I think that's great. Uh, and then also we've talked about 16.8, right? For they, they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Just a fantastic way to end a piece of literature. But I really like reading um, the figure of Jesus in Mark through this kind of adoptionist lens, right? That that he is, that is a human, a human that found God's favor and um, that the Spirit of God indwells him, but then has to leave him. When, when the human body dies, and that's what happens in chapter 15. So to give you another way to think about Mark, in a, in a way that uh, some, not maybe a lot, but some early Christians understood uh, the person of Jesus. Hold right. well on, TJ Dub. So 5 Yep. All right, well, it's my turn. And Second Kings, along with Second Samuel, so I, I kind of take the old school notion that First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings are all kind of you know one collection. So it's more like Third Kings, Fourth Kings, if you will. Um, and it's 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 not really until the Vulgate that we get this kind of weird mixing of of these uh, these texts, but. If you're listening to the show at this point and you haven't read <laughs> Second Kings, please go read Second Kings. It, it's it's fantastic. Um, it's a little repetitive. You can skip over some points, but you get these concepts, uh, in, including um, the split with King Solomon between the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, which a lot of people living in modern American Christianity don't understand. And we talk about Israel, 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 but politically and historically, like there was a, a pretty big split there, and um, the the conception of Israel being the northern kingdom, Judah being the southern kingdom, holds a lot of weight. So you, you get this split after, basically after Solomon dies, but shortly before he does, because he's enslaving people to build the temple. Um, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, break away, and they're met by the Assyrians in 722 and, and uh, cut down. And then Judah becomes kind of this, the sole custodian uh, of, of the promise of God. And the rest of the, of the book of Second Kings is kind of this uh, recollection of, of what happens to the southern kingdom. Um, you get the, the great figure of Hezekiah, who's talking to um, you know Isaiah and trying to figure out what he should do when the Assyrians approach him and... and Basically, Second Kings records this wonderful story of, of a plague uh, sweeping through the Assyrian camp, and all the Assyrians go home, and they run back to Sennacherib. Um, whereas Sennacherib and, and the Assyrian writings say, like, no, no, he, he, you know, he's a vassal, and we've trapped him in Jerusalem like like a bird in a cage, which is, you know, just wonderful uh, sort of back and forth uh, propaganda from the ancient world. And then we get the story of Manasseh, who's is just a, a really terrible king, according to Second Kings. Um, and then we get Josiah. And like I said, Josiah really kind of reinstitutes not just the reforms of Hezekiah, but he also um, listens to his prophets, Jeremiah, who, you know, there's a book named after him, and Huldah, who was a female. And the story goes that Huldah preached to the females and, and Jeremiah preached to the males, whatever. Um, but... but both of them were interpreting Deuteronomy or, or this new law as it is. 
Um, and this is all told through the lens of people returning after the Babylonian exile, after they've gone into captivity, after the, the elite have. And we get this really interesting political kind of Marxist language about the people of the land in Second Kings, where uh, the people of the land did, didn't get taken uh, over to Babylon. Um, and then that picks back up in Ezra and Nehemiah when Israel or Judah is kind of reconstituted or, or constituted, if you will, uh, depending on how you want to read into that. Um, but that people of the land language is such a, a cool kind of political, theological, Marxist, I don't know, bent to it that I, I really enjoy studying. So if you haven't picked up Second Kings in a while, <laughs> um, it, it's it's not it's not a it's not one of those books that that's going to put you to sleep. It, it's a fun story. Um, it, it's a it's a terrible story. There, there's lots <laughs> of atrocities, um, but it's kind of like Game of Thrones in a way. <laughs> um, there's yeah. constant infighting. Yeah, but 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 you know there there's this. Nevertheless, there's this optimism that even though the people are getting dragged out of Jerusalem under you know, Jehoiakim, th- that someday we're going to come back, we're going to re- reconstitute, and then you get Ezra and Nehemiah and then Esther and these stories that come out of the exile. It, it's my favorite series of stories in the Bible, I'm not going to lie. Mark is um, by far my, my favorite gospel, and um, I, I've thought about this throughout the week, and, and I, I went back and forth on, on how, to, how to even wrap my head around this, but when I think about which book is, you know, the better book per se, like which book is going to be more, not just impactful, but, you know, which, which book actually has kind of that, that, that state power. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Mark 2. I'm going to go 3-2. Even though, <laughs> even though wow. Second Kings for me is, is the, uh, the, the, the height, and I'm not saying the New Testament is, is higher than, than the Second Kings or, or the Old Testament. Um, but if we're comparing these two books one on one, yeah, I, I, I got to go with Mark there. Wow, you threw a little bit of a curveball there at the end. I like it. Well, I'm a Cubs. I'm, I'm, I'm a Cubs fan. <laughs> Cubs you know, fan, lifelong. Fan. Not not just 2016. I'm, I'm a So Second fan. Kings is gonna have to wait 86 years. <laughs> Maybe next year. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. All right, David, I guess we know where this is going then. We do, but can I, I'll still add a few things on. And I, yeah. I like to start, I'll look at the bracket right we can tell you. Mark is the favorite to win this thing, in my opinion. It's But it's got to go through a tough road. It's going to go through Daniel. It's going to go through the winner yep. of Exodus and Genesis. Then it's probably going to get in the Final Four Elite Eight, either John or the Gospel of Thomas. Could possibly be First Samuel, depending on how that plays out. So a tough road ahead for Mark. <laughs> so I, too, will save some of my stuff. I was going to focus on just chapter three of Mark. And by the way, Thomas, great stuff on adoptionism as well. But chapter three, verse three six. Chapter four, chapter three, verse six. So mind you, three chap. We're three chapters in now. Verse six, we have the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with Herodians against him how to, on how to destroy him. So we literally we're through two two full chapters and six verses in the third. And they're already ready to destroy Jesus, which I've always thought was fascinating. We get a first glimpse of the Messianic secret in 312, where, and, and he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Um, verse 21, and we're still in chapter 3, we have, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, quote, he is out of his mind. Love it. Um, you just get, like, 
I mean, there's so many. I mean, you guys know this as well as anybody, but you have the immediately, the immediately, the immediately. Yep. This story, it, it's, it lends itself to be read in in one sitting almost because you're on the tip of your seat. That was not the correct phrasing there, but you get the point. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I just, I love Mark. It's by, it's by far my favorite of all the Gospels. And I would like to end this by saying that it really caps off our our, our destruction of what we like to call Luke Twitter. Because uh, Matthew, Mark, John, and Thomas all and Thomas on fifteen, and Luke is sitting in from the couch watching at home. So, so every gospel that made this tournament has made it to the Sweet Sixteen, except Luke. So That's take that, Look, Luke is kind of like the Michigan of the tournaments. <laughs> so if you remember, if you remember, actually the the kind of poll, the Twitter poll that started it all had Matthew, Mark, John, and Thomas in it. Right, right. right. And these four are going to make it to the Sweet 16. We'll see um, how many of them can make it to the Elite Eight and then uh, beyond as well. That's a fantastic point. I'd miss that. So what's your score on that one? Yeah, what's your score? Yeah, Yeah, I'll go 4-1 in favor of the Gospel of Mark. (sighs) Absalom, Absalom. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so that that means in round four we're going to have Matthew versus Ezra, and laugh at Ezra, but Ezra has gone through Philippians and the Gospel of Mary, which you know, Matthew has made it through Ezekiel, and no, yeah, Ezekiel and Second, and Corinthians. Second Corinthians, yeah, and then Romans versus Esther. Esther has made it through Luke, Colossians, and then Susanna. So Esther's got some some strength there. Not saying Romans, who made it through Second Samuel, Apocryphon of John, doesn't, but that's interesting. Then Judges, also from the first round, made it through Second Peter, First Chronicles, First John. So you know, then Revelation, which was I think a surprise. I, I think I really thought First Corinthians was going to make it in tonight. It's a good book. Yeah, I meant to mention this at the beginning, but going into tonight, out of the twelve matchups we had, Revelation, First Corinthians, Hebrews, Job. Uh, let's see, Gospel of Thomas, First Kings, Deuteronomy, James, and Mark were all undefeated prior to coming into tonight. They had not yeah. lost, as in a, I think, like, not that they were 5-0-5-0, but, like, you guys are all, they, they both all agreed yeah. on them, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. And that's why I like recording this, so we can see, like, 2-1, 3-2, oh. that kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah, so, like, Job, I mean, Job is going strong. Beat Obadiah, First Thessalonians. Hebrews, so it's showing strength in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's got Hosea next week, which is kind of a uh, kind of a underdog, kind of uh, a butler. I think Hosea is a sleeper there, honestly. Yeah, yeah, Malachi, Nahum, and Ecclesiastes. I mean, all Old Testament, but I think Hosea going against Job. You know, it's still it's Old Testament, but they're going to show what they can do against uh, either Revelations or Judges. And then John making it. It was the second seed. It, it should have made it. Um, Gospel of Thomas, not a surprise. Wisdom of Sirach, Proverbs. Yeah, that, was, that was a good matchup, but it was 2-0. And then First Kings, James, all the way from the first round. Also, um, Philemon, Prayer of Azariah, Deuteronomy, against second uh, against First Samuel, who made it through Second John and Jude, which is you know not hard. And then Daniel from the first round. I think Daniel's going to have a really good run. If, if it can come out through Mark. But Daniel Mark is going to be the highlight of next week. Besides, well... Eh. well or the I mean, last matchup. 
Exodus Genesis. What do you what do you guys think? I don't know. Daniel Mark might be a little more uh, more interesting. I think it might be. It might be. We'll see. That's why you play the game, I, I right? Think, I, I think Genesis is gonna pull it out. Just throwing that up. Just throwing that out there. I mean, there's a burning bush. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, there's a burning bush. Come and on. And there's guys. laws and you know, the um, comet, so Indiana Jones. So we've gone a little long tonight. We try not to do this normally. But we were pushing through, finishing round three. So thanks for staying with us, even if it's taken you three different um, sittings to get through uh, this show. We appreciate it. We love your feedback. As always, uh, you can find us uh, on Twitter. Uh, I am at, at Thomas Whitley. Sam is at Sam Harrelson. Uh, David is at David R. Allen Jr. You can always find this great podcast at thinking.fm.